you are listening to The Janine Garner Show. Janine is a leading expert on leadership and driving influence through networking and collaboration, passionate about bringing brilliant people together to achieve remarkable results. Join Janine Garner as she shares insights, interviews and conversations, and let's together make the remarkable happen. Welcome to the latest episode of Unleashing Brilliance. Um, it's an absolute pleasure today to be sat here with the awesomeness that is Gabrielle Dolan. Uh, Gabrielle is a friend, a colleague, a thought leader, and an absolute expert in the space of authentic leadership and business storytelling. She's worked with thousands of uh, leaders from around the world um, with the intention of helping them to become absolutely better leaders and communicators and using the art of business storytelling to get that message across and to create the impact that they are supposed to make. Um, I challenge you to keep check of how many times she'll mention Harvard during this conversation because she is a graduate of the Harvard School of Executive Education and it's our little on-running joke that we have. She likes to drop it in at every moment. Um, and from there, is uh, she studied the art and practice of leadership development and women in power. So pretty awesome and lots of stuff that she'll share there. Um, for somebody that failed her last year of English, Gabrielle is also a best-selling author. There you go. Uh, her books include Ignite, Real Leadership, Real Talk, Real Results, which was published in 2015, and Storytelling for Job Interviews, which listed in the top 100, I think, last year, and Hooked, How Leaders Connect, Engage, and Inspire with Storytelling. So um, she's pretty awesome and and it's going to be a uh, fabulous conversation with her. So talk to me, Raoul. I'm going to call her Raoul, by the way, because it would be too fake for me to call her Gabrielle or any other any other name, even hey you. Um, Raoul, um, storytelling, where did this all come from? Where did it all start? Well, I should say what an intro and I could Harvardly contain myself <laughs> oh! while that was going on. So that's one. Yeah, that's one. <laughs> Storytelling. It started for me. I, I used to. I was a leader at the National Australia Bank, so I was a senior leader, um, and I went through all the challenges that leaders do today. So how do they communicate better? How do you get your message across? And a few things happened where I noticed that the the really powerful leaders that I would I found inspiring were using personal stories. I would go to conferences and see people speak and the really great presenters were using stories. So it was pretty much about 14 years ago to the day that I left the NAB and started teaching people how to use personal stories to get their business message across. And what is the biggest fear that people have about showing stories? I think the biggest fear they have, there's probably a couple. One is they think it's unprofessional. So they've been raised to say, you know, business is business, personal is personal, don't mix the two, just give me the facts. And that sharing anything personal is a little bit unprofessional. So there's that, that bit that's stopping them. Once they get over that, the other thing that's stopping them is they still think that showing emotion and vulnerability can be seen as a weakness. So part of my education is teaching them that um, vulnerability is an absolute strength and the more senior you get, the more important it is to show vulnerability and to show you're human. So people, people are great storytellers when they really embrace humility, emotion and they step into vulnerability. But it's a hard thing to do. Yeah, so on that, what's, what's the, uh, the best story you've ever heard? 
Wow, that's mm-hmm. that's a good question. Look, there's there's a lot of um, there's a lot of great stories. When I actually heard recently in one of my workshops, and it's probably really recent for me because I just mentioned it yesterday in another workshop. A lot of the time when leaders and companies are going through change and we're going through massive change, like, you know, every company is going through big change and we're asking our people to take a leap of faith, like to sort of come on the journey even though we don't have all the answers. So years ago we would go through change and it would be a very logical, this is what we're doing, this is where we're going and everyone would, know, you know, it would all be mapped out. Now we don't know because we actually don't know what the future is going to look like in three years, let alone plan for it. So I had this woman share this beautiful story to get that message across to her team where she used to work in India about 20 years ago she worked in India and they just put in a new shopping centre with, with escalators. Now she had seen escalators but this was really new for this for this town and she was walking through the shopping centre and she saw a group of Indian women at the bottom of the escalator, just really nervous not to step on. So she went over and said to one of them, would you like me to take you up the escalator? And she said she did and then the woman's turning around, waving to her friends and got up the top and was you know, all excited and waving to her friends. And she used that story to say to her team, just have the courage to step on the escalator and, and I will be there to help you along your way. And I think it's just a it's a great example of a really simple story, like stories don't have to be about Mount Everest, but a story you're going to relate to and remember and just sort of say, yeah, let's just let's just get on the escalator and see what happens. So mm-hmm. I, I love simple stories like that because mm-hmm. I think they're the most powerful. Well, I think that point of most powerful is, is a valid one. I was actually talking to someone this morning about, as a CEO, using story I actually gave her a copy of your book and uh, her response was I don't talk stories I talk facts and figures where do I find stories yeah. and I went they're everywhere they're what's everywhere. what's what's your yeah. advice to people who may be going yeah yeah story stories yeah. where do I find a story look and, and that's one of the a lot of people that I work with you know coming to the training and they they'll go but I don't have any stories because I'm just normal it's like oh, damn my parents for giving me a happy childhood where the power is in the really the powerful day-to-day story. So it's not about climbing Mount Everest and it's just, you know, it's about getting in trouble off your mum. It was about stories when you were a kid, stories about your kids. So once once they realise the power of it, they start to see stories everywhere. And I really encourage them that it's the day-to-day that what would seem like just normal sort of boring stories, it's how you make the message to it. And it's not about the climbing Mount Everest. And, you know, look, I don't know about you, but I hear people talk about Mount Everest and reaching the summit. And it doesn't matter how many times I hear that explanation, I cannot visualise or imagine what it's like to be on the summit. I can, however, visualise and imagine what it's like being told off by my mum or, you know, your kids saying, what would you know? So the day-to-day ones are the most relatable and most powerful. Mm. I think what it talks to is the impact that we can all have every day with mm. our simple gestures, our simple conversations. It's it's that human connection, right? Yeah. The authenticity piece yeah. that we see... Um, Everywhere being talked about, but what I'm hearing you talk to is the simplicity that is involved in authenticity. I'm going to ask you on the flip side, the funniest story then, the one that you (laughs) have stayed with you and just makes you laugh. One, uh, there's a couple. One one that stayed with me and I probably didn't even hear the story 
the end of the story because, you know, when just something is just so wrong that you have to stop people. And this is, you know, part of stories is it's got to be relating to the audience. So I was working with a, a senior team they were going through major change where people were losing their job. And these were a lot of investment bankers. And one of the, um, we got to the point where people sharing their story and, and this gentleman started his story with, you know, about we all go through change. And the last time I went through change was when I had to change my watch because normally I'm a Rolex man and I just went, stop, just stop. And he's going, no, it's a really good story. I'm going, it's not a good story. You know, people are about to lose their job and you're comparing that to swapping from a Rolex to whatever whatever other watch you swapped to. I didn't actually find out because I made him stop his story. <laughs> but it's it's the ones where you just keep going, oh, don't go there, please don't go there. But um, not too many, but enough. So in your mind, what it, what is it that you love about what you do? What fires you up about your work? I think what I really love as in what I get real reward out of is when I do actually work with leaders in business who, you know, who, who are trying to do the right thing, who are trying to be authentic but don't know. And when they say to me, I, it didn't even ever occur to me, like my whole career it's never occurred to me to use a personal story to get their message across and and just to see how that can change the way they communicate and and I think if I can change leaders the way they can communicate to be more authentic to be more approachable to be more human in the way they lead that has a, such a massive ongoing flow and impact to all the people they lead so when I see people do that I love it and when you know I sometimes see them years later and they will say I you know the training I did with you is still by the far the best training and I always use stories and, I, and they tell me about the successes they had so that's when you go oh I am mm. making a difference which is what we all want to do isn't it yeah and this is this is part of the reason I wanted to chat with you today because for me this 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 principle this concept this skill of storytelling is all about enabling that individual to unleash mm. their brilliance yeah. and their messaging yeah. and their impact um so with that in mind, and we're, see, we're seeing a lot of storytelling yeah. out there, aren't we? Yeah, we're seeing a lot of people talking a... to it. What, what's the biggest challenge that you see coming our way uh, when it comes to uh, communication or leadership or driving change? Mm. Well, I think um, one of the things is around authentic leadership. So there's a lot of talk about how we need to be all more authentic. And I think Gen Y is driving that a lot. Like they're just saying we they just want you know, Gen Y want to be connected, engaged and driven by purpose and, and, you know, they do have quite a healthy disrespect for authority. So the current um, batch of leaders are going, well, how do we respond to that? And what I love with what I do is storytelling is it gives them a really practical way to be authentic. The other thing that I'm noticing from a storytelling space is... Well, years ago, um, I'd come into companies and I was just asked to train the senior leaders. It was sort of seen as like almost a senior leadership skill. A lot of companies now are realising that this is a skill everyone should have. Like, And it's almost anyone that has either a people leadership role or a, a customer-facing role, which in most cases is the significant amount of their employees. How do we upskill people in a scalable manner? So looking at um, different ways to do that besides face-to-face training which we know is always ideal but not Mm. very practical when you're needing to train tens of thousands of people across the globe Mm. so that's a little challenge that I'm working through with a few clients that want to go there 
Excellent. Well, let's talk about you for a second. So I mentioned in the intro My that... I know, talk about me. Um, you failed English and yet you I are did. the author of a ridiculous number of books and I know you're writing another one. Um, you've been through Harvard a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, you speak on global stages. Where did you find... The, your own brilliance to do that where did it all come from and what challenges have you faced along the way it's mm, a good question I think um, I think being one of eight children helps so you sort of you know if you want to be heard you've got to you know do something you can't you can't just sit in the corner I um I, I've had I've always had a lot of really supportive people around me and I and I know on one on one hand you can say that's really lucky but I I also know that's by design I consciously avoid people that drain my energy and bring me down so I have a lot of people um you know my husband for a start when I when I decided to leave the nab and start this it was just this undivided you know um unconditional support of yes go for it and so every time I have a few self-doubts, I've, I've got people around me that just go, come on, you can do it. And, and I, you know, and I do, and I do. And so I just, just slap myself around and get on with it and <laughs> find the courage to do it. And, and I think also to, to be yourself is to do this your way. So, um, you know, one of, one of the, I, I love quotes and one of the quotes I love is from Oscar Wilde where he says, be yourself, everybody else has taken. So mm. just just being yourself and, and if people don't like that they won't work with you and that's okay because you probably don't want to work with them um and so if you be yourself and they like you and love you then you'd never have to pretend and mm. you know and I can't be talking about authentic leadership without living and breathing it have you got an example of where that was tested where you weren't yourself and it was that realization of oh my god I've done it to reaffirm that? Yeah. Yeah, I actually, I have one. So I, I was um, I was trialling out, I was being coached by someone and it was someone, you know, when you sort of think, I don't really want to do it, but maybe I'm not doing it because I'm, you know, being scared of not doing it. So I challenged myself I should do it. And then I realised halfway through the coaching process, I was being coached to sell in a way that didn't feel right. And I, you know, had this session where I got people in the room and I was following the, my, the advice and I got halfway through and I feel like this just feels dirty. It's not the way I sell. And I actually remember going home and I don't cry a lot, but I cried that night. And the reason I cried is because I thought I was not true to myself. And I allowed someone else to um, dictate the way I behaved I guess and uh yeah so I just you know the next day rang a few mates and said I need a coffee like and you know just promised to never do that never do that again Mm. it's a it's a big learning isn't it that that experience and what about so how you're a busy woman um you do a lot of travel you've Mm -hmm. got family Mm mm-hmm and lots of stuff, including a garden that you look after in the country. Yeah. How, how do you keep yourself going? Because to be doing the job that you do, which essentially is giving to others, is training others, is teaching others, is help others be yeah. brilliant, yeah. how do you make sure that you bring the best of yourself to those 
meetings, those conversations? Yeah. So, I mean, one of one of the things is I um, am very protective of my diary. Mm-hmm. So I try not to do any training or delivery during school holidays. So I, I have the 12 weeks off a year. And, you know, I'm still writing and doing emails, but it, it's downtime. I'm also very, like, I would never do five days in a row of delivery. I... I do do a lot of travel, but I actually really enjoy travel and I find it a downtime. So I, I sit there and, you know, I can write on the plane. There's no distractions. Um, and, you know, I know, I know this is bad mother material, but it is time away. And so, you know, one of my little secret joys is being away from the family and your room service and you're sitting there and you're watching CNN and you're just going, oh, this is life's good. Um, but I do miss them. But, you know, I do like, I do enjoy my time away from them. And it is, it's managing your energy. So especially when you have got a busy week, it's, you know, I exercise a lot. The first thing that's packed whenever I go away is, you know, my runners and my gym gear. And if I have to make a call between gym gear and taking books, then the books don't come. So it, it is, it's managing my energy physically, um, trying to keep fit and also saying no to a lot of things that don't serve me or serve my family and don't give me energy. So I think a lot of the time it's saying no to things. Mm. And what I hear in all of that is the ownership of you and the decisions that you're making. Mm. On that, I know you're really passionate about the diversity space. Mm -hmm. Um, We actually do run a program together in this space as well. Um, But one of the things I'm seeing particularly um, in this space is there's still a significant amount of um, awesome women that feel guilty about Mm. saying I quite enjoy time away from my children. I am going to exercise first. I am going to sleep. And it's almost this unconscious burnout process Mm. that people are going into. Do you see that, see the same thing, experience that in your world? I do see it. And it's sort of like, you know, the burnt chop syndrome Mm. where, where the, you know, the mother, the woman takes the burnt chop. I, and I guess it's a reverse selfishness. So people could see you know, that I'm selfish and, you know, it's like part of me, I, I don't care if that's your opinion of me because what I do know is that I cannot be the best mother, I cannot be the best wife, I cannot be the best for my clients if I do not put myself first. So, you know, the you know, I do, there's no apologies for going gym I, and I do enjoy being away from the family at times because I know it's my downtime and I know it re-energises me. And part of the reason I say no to a lot of things is because I'm very aware what gives me energy and what draws my energy. And if I'm constantly do, saying yes to things that de-energizes me, I know I'll walk into a client and not give 100%. I'll know I'll come home and be bloody crappy with everyone and be a crappy mum. So it's just not it's not good for anyone. So it's, what do they say? It's like selfless, not selfish. Mm. It's, it's taking care of yourself first. It's like, you know, you're on a plane and the oxygen mask falls, you put it on yourself mm. first before you take care of anyone else. Mm. And to me, that's a funda- fundamental part of how do you unleash brilliance. It's taking yeah. that time out to work it out yeah. 
for yourself, what it is that you're doing, etc., etc. What else would you share with the people that are listening to this who may be going, yeah, 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 she's done all that study, she's written that book, her yeah. life's awesome, how yeah. lucky, blah, blah, how blah. Lucky. I hate the word but lucky. this this concept of helping people themselves, because I really believe that everyone has got something and for yeah. some reason it's buried. How do, how do you help? What's your view of finding that yeah. thing that you want to do so so i agree it's it's probably you know i, I believe everyone has a genius inside them and it's, i guess it's the whole unleashing brilliance is how do you, you get that out of them um and part of the way i love to serve people is helping them find their genius and get it out because a lot of my clients are in the corporate world it's just busy 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 we're wearing we're wearing busy <clears throat> as a badge of honor and this it has to stop because what it means is we are so busy being busy with stuff, and I'm not suggesting what we're doing isn't important, but a lot of the stuff it's not. How do you just stop and give yourself time to either think about things more deeply or to say, I want to be known for this, I want to be good at this, and then actually put some time into unleashing that brilliance as opposed to just being on the corporate treadmill and going and going and going and going and then reaching you know, perhaps 50 and saying, oh, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? So it's just, it's it's prioritising it, I think. Mm. In the, As you said, you work a lot in corporate and with very senior people in corporate. Are there a couple of tips that you can share or things that you have heard that some of your clients do? As an example, recently, um, you know, Jamie Pride actually shared on this podcast that he refuses to take meetings before 11.30 because he focuses on his own stuff. Mm-hmm. And if the proverbial hits the fan for the rest of the day, at least he's done some great stuff. Uh, yesterday, I was speaking to a, uh, a CEO in the property industry that said the same thing. I don't take any meetings before 10 or after 4 mm. because I realised I was close to burnout last year and I need to look after myself. So you were talking about this concept of stopping yeah. in a busy world that's getting increasingly busy, which I absolutely agree with. I think the challenge that people are having is how to do it. Yeah, yeah. And I think, look, I know people that, you know, just w- working from home one day a week works. If the more senior people normally have um, someone else managing their diary, and you have to you have to protect your diary, so it's almost you've got to hand out. You can so you've sort of got to go to the person protecting your diary. You've got to pre- protecting your diary. My diary is protecting me, and give them authority to override when you say yes to something. So you know, I have my executive manager, and I've given her complete authority that if I say yes to something that falls out my guidelines of no more delivery, she overrides me, um, and says, "But you said no." And look, we still then have a conversation. But it's um, just blocking stuff out in your diary. If it if it's not blocked out, it doesn't happen. So I have Jim blocked out in my diary. I have. You know, the kids' birthdays are always there because I don't want to be travel. I don't. I definitely don't want to be away on their birthday. So, put put it for me, and I know a lot of other people do. If it's not in the diary, it won't happen. So put it in the diary, and even if that is just thinking time, you know. If you're unhappy with that, call it something else. Call it a board meeting. Mm. And even though you know the board meeting's with you, but yeah, protect your diary. Now you left. I want to touch on very quickly that this concept of you left a a, a corporate job, mm-hmm. which came with lots of nice benefits, mm. including salary, I'm mm-hmm. sure, to yes. set off on your own. Mm-hmm. So in that, I hear a stack of courage and a stack of belief. But 
I'm imagining there were some scary moments along the way. Can you share a couple of those and how yeah. you kept yourself going? Yeah, well, there was a couple. I, there's a couple of things. There's probably three things I really missed when I left my corporate job. Um, one were all the friends that you sort of meet and the isolation. The second was the regular fortnightly salary that was that missed. And um, the other one was the stationary cupboard. So <laughs> did you love stationary day when it gets all delivered? But there was probably probably the most scariest day I had was a few years ago where um, you know where my husband fully supported me when I left the corporate world. Um, a few years ago, he wanted to leave his corporate job, and and I said, "Yep, absolutely." Um, so he left his corporate job, which meant you know you you lose a significant chunk of your salary. At the, at the same time, almost the same week, I had convinced a mate of mine to leave her teaching career to come and work for me full time. And I remember we went to the accountant and I came back and I was sitting in my office and I, I, I seriously physically nearly threw up because the enormity of saying, okay, Steve's just left work. Elisa's just left her work to come and work for you. You now have two people that are heavily reliant on you being successful and that, that was overwhelming. It was overwhelming for for quite a while. <laughs> like, I don't know, I think I just had a drink and it was like... Um, and, you know, again, again, Steve said, but I wouldn't be doing this if I didn't have any, you know, if I had doubts that you couldn't do this. And um, I think Elise said, stop saying I'm worried because now you're making me worry, so just stop talking about it. So I, I just got over it. I think... I think when you have these fears, it's okay to have these fears, but what I find is the really successful people don't dwell on them and just, you know, give yourself a day, give yourself a weekend, have a drink, whatever, do whatever, go for a run, but then get out of your own way and get mm. on with it. But, yeah, I, I distinctly remember feeling like I was going to vomit. What I also heard in that, though, was um, the courage and openness to listen to others. Mm. So there's a lot of people out there that listen but they don't hear. Yeah. And the fact that your husband and Elise believed in you, mm. there's you use that to, to fuel that that energy and that commitment to keep going. Yeah. Um, what's, I, I always laugh, particularly for those of us that do work in corporate or in business, um, you know, you hear all these lovely words of wisdom uh, being banded about. What's the one that you hear being shared constantly that just drives you insane and you wish people would stop saying it? Practice makes perfect. <laughs> yeah, why is that? It was that? like, practice makes perfect. Nothing makes perfect. And what about if you're practicing the wrong crap? That <laughs> doesn't make perfect. So, yeah, practice makes perfect. I, I, I think practice can improve. And I, I, but I don't think we should ever be aiming for perfect. Well, what does perfect look like anyway? So I, I really hate that. <laughs> my father-in-law always says, waste not, want not, which I don't know. Like I just, that's stupid too. But anyway, he's my father-in-law, so he can get away with it. <laughs> so you just let it go. Just let him go. <laughs> just let him go. Um, Raul, it's been an absolute joy. Before I ask you my final question, um, just to summarise a couple of key things that came out for me as you were talking. Um what came out loud and clear was this courage to be yourself in your own way. And those of you, those of you listening that have the chance to meet Raal, um, she walks and talks this. Um, she absolutely is true to your, to herself. What you see is what you get. Um, and that's why you're making such an impact in the work that you're doing. Uh, the second thing is this ownership piece around 
um, being really clear about what you need to be brilliant, what you need for yourself uh, to ensure that you continue to do whatever work it is that you've been put on this planet to do. And um, obviously this is your passion and your thought leadership, but um, within this concept of stories, it's, it's this need that we are seeing everywhere about authenticity, but authenticity is more than a buzzword. Yeah, it actually absolutely. requires people to, to dig deep uh, to show their realness yeah. and to be prepared to openly share that publicly because that's where that connection yeah. piece comes. As we all know, um, you know, business is more than just the strategy. It is the culture. It is the people that make the business go round. So uh, my final question um, really is about you. You know, we often hear conversations and discussions about what people want to become mm-hmm. um, and their journey and their career. And it's almost, you know, that tick on the box I've got there but for you I want to ask who do you want to be and what is the impact that you personally want to have who, who do I want to be if I could be <laughs> you do that let's <laughs> answer that one go on Jerry Seinfeld <laughs> am I Jerry Seinfeld I don't know I just think if, if, if I did not do what I'm doing I would love to be a stand-up comic but that that's scary and I don't know. What, he's I got, reckon you should go and do it. Job, <laughs> There's your challenge. I, I would reckon. Love to be Jerry Seinfeld. And, and can I just say that I have not mentioned Harvard once. You had. You, had, you mentioned it once. I've got a oh, tick on I? my piece that of paper Harvard at Link. the beginning. That was a joke. <laughs> yeah, who do you want to be? Who do you want to be remembered for? I, I think the way you summed me up is that I live and breathe. Authentic leadership is, is perhaps what I'd like to be remembered for. And... Um, uh, just just having the courage to live the life you want um, but, uh, and if I can if I can inspire people to do that then then my my work here is done fabulous excellent it's been an absolute joy to chat with you Ralph for anyone interested in Ralph's work just look up gabrieldolan.com um, and if you haven't got a copy of her latest book stories for work the essential guide to business storytelling it's an absolute must for anyone that is serious about being real uh, and being authentic at work and anyone that is trying to influence and drive change thanks so much Ralph. it's been an absolute joy been a pleasure thank you we hope you enjoyed listening to the janine garner show to follow her blog purchase her books or find out more visit her website janinegarner.com.au brilliant people extraordinary results